Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, hello. Welcome back, friends. It is so good to see you all. It is May 15th, 2019, and this is the A-Side Live Chat Podcast. I hope all of you guys out there are having a spectacular start to your week. We appreciate you so much for joining us today. Uh, There is a lot to talk about today. It has been a busy week. Before we do that, let me bring in my co-host for this week. Joining me on today's program, he is Ireland's finest. The man behind the spectacular Eurobash podcast, the master of the heel hook, the OG of the Erie. Thank you so much for joining the program. Pizzi Carroll, what is up, Pizzi? Welcome to the A-Side. Well, I'm, I'm honored. This is quite an introduction. I've, I've been caught off guard with this. It's so, uh, I feel like I've been overhyped now. I'm going to have to deliver and I'm getting very sweaty immediately. I can feel it pouring down my face, but I'm ready. Bring it. Bring all your questions. Let's dance. Yeah, yeah that's the spirit. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm well out course on this. Let's let's get that out of the way first. I'm well out swear no. You can do whatever you want, sir. Lovely. I will, I can I can not stop you. I can only hope to contain you. They tend to slip out. It's part of my culture. I think it it, it, it sounds better coming from your accent than from mine. So I think people will allow it. It's like uh, it's like uh, it's like Gaelic, you know. All those courses you took them off us. It's actually our language. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a few <laughs> So I think a few things happened since we saw since we each spoke last week. Uh UFC 237 and Bellator 221 both brought plenty of violence but also a little bit of controversy for each this past week. Plus Nate Diaz is back, Tony Ferguson is back. Frank Yeager's fighting Max Holloway. UFC Rochester is ahead this weekend and a whole lot more. But as we always say, this is your show. So we will talk about whatever you want us to talk about. You can ask us a question on the MMA fighting page below. Any question that gets three recommendations, those will turn green and get priority. Or you can ask us a question on Twitter using the hashtags the A side or chat wrappers. Uh, re- quick, re- a quick reminder that all of the MMA fighting podcasts have been merged into one feed, which means subscribe to MMA fighting. You'll get the MMA hour on Mondays. This man's f- show, Euro Best, on Tuesday, the A side on Wednesdays, and the MMA beat on Thursday. Subscribe on MMA fighting wherever you get your pods. Uh, and with that, Pete's Carol, you ready to do this? Let's dance. Let's dance. Hook it up to my veins. I want to do it now. Oh, I love the energy. Let's do this. Come on. Come on. <laughs> First up coming from the MMA fighting page is our good friend G-Reb77. And he wants to know about John Jones on DC. Honest and respectful or selling a future fight? He writes, you probably saw Dan Hardy's interview with John Jones where Jones seemed extremely honest and respectful talking about DC. Looking at Jones and DC's history, the gracious respect almost seemed a little suspicious. What did you make of it? 
Secondly, he said he won't fight DC at heavyweight because he feels he will have a disadvantage at the higher weight. What do you make of that statement, John being honest, or is he selling a future heavyweight fight against DC? And let me throw this to you for your first A-side question, Pizzi. What do you make of John Jones talking about DC? Yeah, I was completely caught off guard by that, to be honest. Uh, I saw the interview with, with Dan Hardy, and I just started immediately thinking, like, I don't know if you saw, he had a bit of a, a verbal altercation with Choi Lewis Parry on the Friday at a fitness expo in England. And when I was watching him being interviewed, I was like, is this guy seriously jet-lagged or something? Does he just not have the energy to talk some smack about Cormier today? Because it, it just seems so out of character, you know? Even Dan Hardy seemed a bit like, whoa, when he was saying it. So um, very strange. And uh, the heavyweight fight is the one I want to see. I've seen it at 205 twice. You know, I, I think the heavyweight fight is the way to go, really. If, if you ask me, that would be the most interesting contest they could make between the two now. So that's something I would definitely like to see. But obviously, uh, John threw a bit of water on that there. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe him, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I don't necessarily take that at face value. You know, you saw the interaction between these two guys when they thought the cameras weren't running. You know, it, it is. If there's some serious beef there. There's some serious hostility between them. Um, I would say his tune will change quite significantly the next time he talks about Daniel Cormier. That's what I expect anyway. I don't know. I kind of I, – I took this – I think I took this in a different way than a lot of people because when it seems like these days – when John talks about Daniel and is asked about Daniel, he's being he's being nice and he's being respectful, but almost in a way where he's sort of grinning out of one side of his mouth because he just knows that I'm up in this series and that this man will never has never beaten me and maybe never will beat me. And like, I'm just always going to have the eternal big brother edge on this guy. And so I think his what him being nice in the way that he was being feels to me like a way to that he knows will bother Daniel more than just being going you know balls to the wall insulting him just being nice and kind of complimenting him around and needling him just a tiny bit that to me seems like a much more subtle way to really just mess with daniel and get dc riled up uh than than i guess the trash talk to me are you saying that like if he was to go full-on heel and start uh talking all types of stuff about daniel that would actually support the idea of a fight between them happening and on the like, what you're saying is he doesn't even want to entertain that. So being nice and humble about it and saying how great Daniel is, that isn't actually feeding the fire for that potential fight, the third fight between those two guys. I don't know if it's as much about a fight because I think John would welcome a third fight because he's already beaten the man twice. I mean, once technically, but twice we we saw. Heavyweight, that. you think he'd welcome it? No, I don't think. I think he's being honest with the heavyweight stuff, and I actually really appreciate the way he was able to articulate that because you don't really hear. Yes. You don't hear potential goats, potential all timers talk like that often of like, hey, I'd be I'd be doing myself a disservice if I fought this man under these conditions. So that's that's interesting to hear. But I do think really when John is talking about Daniel in this way, he is talking about it with a very sly smile out of one side of his mouth, knowing that being really nice in this way is just needling Daniel in, in the same exact way and probably even more so than like really lobbing a bunch of insults at him because they've done that. The nice, the niceties, like Daniel's not trying to, to share niceties with John, and I think it's just a very one-sided. John knows it's a one-sided thing at that point. If that yeah, makes any sense. No, it does. It does make sense. I'll have to look at it with a new, fresh pair of eyes now, Sean. After that beautiful analysis. <laughs> all right, flattery will get you nowhere on this program. <laughs> I love all those commenters. Keep the love coming, guys. <laughs> 
Oh, man, let's keep it moving. Let's go to Jay DeLuca, who's coming in hot about this past weekend. He writes, Jessica Andrade's merciless style of a slam. Hi, Shaheen and Pete. Oh, man, how many people people call you Pete? I've never heard that. My ma calls me Pete. My dad calls me Pete. And my brother sometimes calls me Pete. Nobody else. But I'll let Jay into the family for one day. Don't worry about that, Jay. You can have that. I don't. I don't like that. I don't like you being called Pete. That doesn't sound right to me. Well, then strike it from the record, Jay. You're gonna have to change that. Go back and edit that comment, please, Petey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he writes, "I'd like to hear your perspectives on Jessica Andrade's ruthless next slam from Saturday night, echoed by many inside and outside of the MMA community." Uh, referee Mark Goddard showed how any throw with an arc lift can be brought down in any fashion. I don't, I don't know that quote. Uh, while out of the 11 slam knockouts in UFC history, four finished title fights. Do you believe that UFC fighters should be automatically DQ'd for intentionally slamming their competitor, specifically on their neck, head, during a fight? Other forms of general slams, aside from the pile driver slash spike, would stay legal. Uh, ben Askren's last fight with Lawler, along with uh, Fedor and Randleman, are defiant examples of fighters overcoming the calamitous setback well, interestingly, within one championship, all variations of suplex slams are illegal. Uh, and so, Pizzi, let's use this question as a broader jumping off point to talk about this past weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Jessica Andrade comes into Rio de Janeiro. I guess Rose Namajunas comes into Rio de Janeiro in enemy territory and is piecing up Jessica Andrade, the challenger, for, I think, about six minutes. Uh, and then we get one of the more violent finishes we have seen in recent time. I think everyone was very scared for a moment that, that Rose could have been significantly hurt. Luckily, it seems like she's fine. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. What should we make, and what do you make, I guess, of such a wild and violent finish to UFC 237? I just think it's a perfect example of what mixed martial arts is to a, to a certain degree. You know, it, it, it's someone reacting to real-time problems uh, and sorting them out. Like you saw in the first round, the way um, Rose went for the Kimura trap and beautifully defended that takedown, ended up in nearly an armbar position at the end of it. I thought that was beautiful. And then you see the adaption then the second time in the second round where, um, as Dominic Cruz pointed out afterwards, you know, Jessica switches the head to the outside and goes for a different kind of takedown, um, which had disastrous effects, of course, for, for Oznami Yunus. Um, I, I, I thought it was a beautiful bit of technique. And, and I, I do admit that, you know, when it does happen, when you see a finish like that, it does kind of take your breath away. But for me, what the most interesting thing about it was the reaction to it. All day, uh, even even in Ireland, you'll know they're very critical of MMA over here. This is the kind of stuff that the mainstream press pick up on. You know, they're saying this should be made illegal. This this kind of this kind of thing can't be happening. How is this a sport? And you know, we didn't see that conversation happen when it happened with Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler. Everybody was nearly celebrating that situation a lot more. I felt there was a, a far more critical eye on what happened in this main event compared to what happened with uh, Askren and Lawler, which I thought was very interesting. Um, why do you think Why do you think that was? Because I, I noticed that too, and that stuck out to me, where we just went through something like this, and maybe because the fight ended, but is it because people like Rose perhaps more than Ben Askren? There are less people wanting Rose to get their, her comeuppance to some degree. Is it because they're women? Uh, is, it, is it like, why, why do you think was the, the bigger outcry? I, I don't know. So. I mean, I feel like in MMA, we, we've all we've we've done a lot better than other sports in terms of pushing the women into the forefront, into those main event positions. But I feel as though when people who aren't accustomed to the sport uh, see see a woman finished in such a way, it does have a bigger reaction for them. 
obviously we're we see uh, female main events an awful lot, so it's not as uh, it's not as shocking to us. But I do think that factored into it definitely. And I think I saw some discussion online with our old colleague Dave Doyle and and Kaposa and other people kind of hinting at that as well. Obviously, we won't ever know for sure what provoked the reaction, but I do think that factored into it. You know, for people who aren't used to that kind of thing, that was a shock. Yeah, I I, I think I agree with you, and I think that's. I think it's twofold. The two things I just mentioned where maybe less people are, are, I think there are very few people who are out there looking for Rose to get her comeuppance to some degree where yeah. on the other side, Ben Askren talks a lot of trash. I think there's definitely a contingent of people who were excited to see him slammed on his neck like that. Uh, <laughs> but also you, I, I do think, you know, there is some degree where these are 115 pound women. And I think it for, for an audience who is not, who are probably more, closer on the spectrum to normal people and not weirdos who are like us who just drive and stuff. Uh, yeah. there, there, there is, it's a harder barrier to entry to see a 115 pound woman maybe slammed on her head like that and, and understand and not get up in arms about it. Uh, which I guess was interesting to me. It was interesting to me sort of the, the widespread reaction because even from amongst many in the MMA community, we saw sort of this outrage and slams have been around forever, right? Like some of the yeah. most legendary moments of pride were, rampage slamming arona and that sort of thing like these and, and the randall plex with randall men and fedor which i still to this day do not understand how fedor is walking after that crazy uh and so it, it was strange to me but i guess let's to, to keep things moving i mean i think well just to wrap that point a bow on that point i guess the this should slams be outlawed that sort of conversation i'm firmly in the camp where no I mean, they they should not at all, at all be outlawed spikes are already outlawed if you if you like purposefully spike somebody on their head, that is already outlawed. But Rose Namajunas was holding on to a submission. She could have let go and gotten herself away from that. I feel like I'm okay with that setup of a sequence uh, that we saw on Saturday. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, find it, I, I think it's very hard to believe as well in terms of the variations takedowns that we see in this sport. I, I think it'd be very hard to police that, you know, like um, – you know, you, you can't stop it until someone's knocked out cold, basically. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... Yeah. It, it's going to happen so quickly in the transition when, when you're wrestling. I think it's very hard to police. And and personally, I, I don't believe that it should be changed. Like, this is technique versus technique. There was nothing malicious going on there in terms of one person's trying to score a takedown, the other's trying to get a submission. These things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, that was actually the second time in the fight that Rose attacked with that same way for, for a takedown defense, more or less. So that was obviously part of the game plan. It just didn't work out. Uh, and it's one of these crazy things that, that happens in MMA. One thing really like when you when you look at how brilliant Rose was in the first round, like I mean, that was just unbelievable. I think that's one of our best performances of the day. And I do I do think if you look back at Joanna's performance against Andrade. Uh, and Raj, the uh, the jab played such a big part in that as well, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rose looked at that a lot because up until that point, um, you know, Rose's first round against Jessica, no one had been able to fight Jessica like Joanna did, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a perfect segue to the question I want to ask you, which is, you know, well, also really quick, Pizzi, move your microphone a little bit more in front of you. All right, sorry, Jesus, uh, here we go. Oh my God, he's like a dictator. <laughs> the audio's cut down <laughs> a little bit for us. Is that good? Uh, I also think you have your microphone backwards, buddy. Oh no, my, my microphone backwards. What do you mean? The 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 blue sign should be facing you. This is the this is the front yoke. Look. Oh, what do you mean here? So I flip it around this way. Yeah, yeah. Oh that's... my god! Now you're coming Look in good. Everything. Look at this. Now Learning you're... on the spot with Al Shadi. 
this is uh this is the wonders of a live show oh my god what a time to be alive <laughs> and, and lean it lean it away from me man lean it away from you what you mean lean it away from me this is getting very complicated lean, here lean it lean it away other way this way yeah yeah there you go keep going here. keep going oh, wow. more 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 all right is that good that's that's perfect wow look at this huh microphone lessons with sean alshadi it's not perfect but we're gonna settle with that uh <laughs> so i'm getting back to the question i need to ask you so you had you had said really nice where everyone was talking about you know rose had the spectacular first round does that mean she should automatically get a rematch because i'm seeing a lot of people call this a fluke uh and that's a weird that's a weird way to describe a second round knockout to me uh, what should be next for for Jessica Andrade? Should should a rematch be next, or should she be funneled in, keep the line moving, go down to somebody else? You know, I see a lot of talk about Tatiana Suarez and uh, Nina Ansaroff. You know what I mean? Like that that fight um, could be big. But I mean, after Rose getting knocked out, it, it's very hard to kind of plan for. Let's do the rematch. I mean, Rose doesn't seem to be decided on what's going to happen next with her either, based on her comments after the fight. So it's very it's very tough for the ufc to try and put that fight together i'd say immediately you know so um I, I don't really know it's a tough one i guess they're gonna have to ask rose i wouldn't be against it i mean if jessica wanted that time off and and, and rose was happy to come in i wouldn't be against it but you know the, the division can develop in the meantime and we often see this you know what i mean the fights that happen all around this title fight could decide who's next and i, I think a lot of people are hot on, on other contenders in the division so it's going to be interesting to see what happens um like, I, I don't know if we need to be, you know, immediately thinking about this right now. You know, that the fight's just happened. Let some things play out, and then maybe we'll see what's next from there. What do you think? To me, I don't, I, so there's, it seems like there's three courses of action, right? Because it's either the rematch, uh, it's either the winner of Suarez versus Ansaroff, or somehow it feels as though Michelle Watterson has also reached this conversation, which I think that last one maybe is the most surprising to me. Uh, I understand she's a marketable fighter, and yeah, she's been around for a long time. She's sort of paid her dues, but she's only won three in a row. Uh, and I don't know that any of those three are particular have been particularly crazy impressive. I felt like she lost the Courtney Casey fight, for example. Uh, to me, it feels like the obvious answer is the Suarez answer off winner because mm. both of those women have been on crazy tears. And that was sort of the, what we assumed was going to be next for a long time until Michelle Watterson entered this conversation. Uh, I also just, I guess, don't, I understand. Okay. I don't want to say I don't get it because I do get it, but I don't agree with this conversation about an instant re immediate rematch. Cause at, at some point we're lowering the bar for immediate rematches way too much. Rose Namajunas has been a champion for a little while and she's only had one title defense and she's only really faced one woman. And that was Joanna and Jacek. Why does she deserve an immediate rematch? Is it because of the way this fight went because for that she was dominating for five minutes and then lost? Because if you if that's the reason, there's a lot of different fights you could point to where people were winning and then lost in title fights. I don't know that that is justification for an immediate rematch when there are actual contenders waiting in the wings, and not even just one. There are multiple, as we as we've already mentioned. Uh, so I, to me, it feels like this Suarez versus Ansaroff winner is the obvious go-to, uh, and I'm actually surprised to see as much immediate rematch talk as as we have. Yeah, and, and Nina's a good, like, I mean, if Nina managed to get through Tatiana, which is no mean feat at all, I mean, it's a great story with her and Amanda, you know what I mean? That's a that's a fantastic story um, to have a, a couple 
with, with two championship belts would be, well with three championship belts would be unbelievable you know what i mean um i i think her her run has really gone under the radar to be honest nina she's been in fantastic form yeah absolutely and I, also I, I to me i i tweeted this on saturday but I mean, Tatiana Suarez is a woman that at this point, I think a lot of people have earmarked as a potential champion for a long time. Yes. Jessica Andrade versus Tatiana Suarez is maybe one of my most wanted fights for 2019 now. Because the way those two styles would clash, the tractor against the the crazy wrestler, the Habib-like wrestler who could just suffocate you, that is fascinating to me. I need to see how that would play out. And I don't see that that kind of finish happening to Tatiana Suarez. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Imagine the amount of transitions she has from different wrestling uh, tie-ups, from different clinches. It's just not going to happen against her. Like, I mean, she's going to be the Jessica's going to be the one fending off the takedowns in that fight. You'd imagine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're if you're UFC matchmakers, what do you do? What's your final call? Yeah, I'd probably wait for the the winner of Ansaroff and uh, Suarez. I think that's probably the best option, especially like you know Rose badly KO'd there. You know, like that, she got a big knock there. I mean, is that the right way to do this? Kind of wait to see when she's a hundred percent. Because look, look, I only interviewed Stephen Wonderboy Thompson there a couple of days ago. Initially, he was saying to Luke Thomas on the MMA, or I'll be back by Greenville. You know, in June when his when his knockout had just taken place in March. But after you know cooler heads prevail, he realizes no, I need a lot more time off just to, just to make sure that I'm a hundred percent. And who's to say Rose won't have a kind of a revelation like that as well? Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm we sure we don't even know if she's gonna fight like we don't know if she's gonna fight again. So what's the point in putting your eggs in that basket, you know? That that's a, a great point, and I think we actually are gonna talk about that later on the show. So let's leave the table this conversation for now. We'll move on to the next question, and that's coming another one from G Reb77. Wants to know about the one of the big announcements this past week. Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar. He writes featherweight title fight confirmed. Do you think Alexander Volkanovsky had, had Volkanovsky? had a better case than Frankie Edgar. How do you see Max versus Frankie play out? Do you think Max's loss to Poirier will affect him? And so, Pizzi, this is an interesting this is an interesting conversation that sort of arose seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, we have this fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Jose Aldo that appears to be uh, a setup fight for Volkanovsky to launch into a title fight if he wins. And he does win, and he wins pretty convincingly. It's not the most exciting win, but it was a convincing win. Uh, and then maybe two days later, it comes out that Max Holloway is now fighting Frankie Edgar. So I want to ask you, was that the, the right call? Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, when I saw it first, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I didn't understand it. I had no idea where it would come from. Um, you know, it felt like this conversation only really started on the night. Like, I mean, I, don't, I didn't really have Frankie factored into that title conversation at all. But then I just started to see a lot of talk about it on Saturday. And I was... I was going, am I going crazy here? Like, did, did I miss something huge? You know, as far as, did Frankie have another couple of fights that I, I, I forget happened? But um, now with uh, Alex, you know, with this infection that we still don't know uh, how severe it is, with him just coming off this fight in Rio, you know, I do think that was enough to get him a title shot. I do feel like if meritocracy was was the bottom line here he would be getting that title shot 100 and if not him's a beast so i don't really i don't understand it and um, i do think it's worked out well for the ufc in the sense that not well having volkanovsky with an infection but it, we don't know how long he might be out for with this infection it might be a very short period of time 
but it is there. It's happened. It's been reported by all the news publications. This guy is is dealing with an infection at the moment. And for that time being, it looks okay because Holloway and Edgar can can uh, fight in July. Or is it? It is July, isn't it? It is July, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, it opens up the possibility of a Holloway or Edgar, depending on the winner, fighting Volkanovski at home. Like, I'm sure he'd prefer to fight in uh, in Australia than he would... Um, you know, in America, just just in terms of travel and stuff like that. But um, just to the question as well, I do feel like Frankie has a way better chance uh, given Max's situation. He's just been at 55. He's It's not going to be easy to get back down to 45. It's very rare that we see a guy move up a division and then have absolutely no trouble dropping back into that lower weight category. We know that Max has had trouble with that in the past. I think it's a it, it definitely will factor into the fight, I believe. Um, whether that's ahead of the fight, just just having to you know really deplete himself to get down, but I do feel like that these things have a huge factor in fights. So I do think it's a good time for Frankie to fight him, but I don't I di- I didn't agree with it at all. You know that's funny because I actually really love this. I know I, Casey does as well. He was he was he was all over me on Twitter. <laughs> I I love this fight, and I say that as someone who immediately following. Alexander's win on Saturday tweeted out that he he should absolutely be next in line for a title shot. And I still stand by that. And here's why I stand by that. This fight is in July. Hmm. As you mentioned, that's not long from now. That is only a few months from now. And that is that would be a very short prep time to turn around for someone who, like you said, is already has an infection. Frankie Edgar has put in the work. Frankie Edgar is a legend. I don't need to read Frankie Edgar's resume, but any title shot he gets at this point, unless it's coming off of multiple losses. It's hard to say he doesn't deserve it, especially given sort of the history that he has with Max and how he fought Brian Ortega on short notice and how he was, he's was he been booked two different times to fight Max Holloway at this point. And he just, uh, I think him being the company guy ended up getting in the way of his getting a title shot. So in a way, this is the company paying him back, and I can never be upset about that. The reason I like this so much, though, is because this fight is in July. And like you mentioned, I think Alexander Volkanovsky challenging for that title in his home area of Oceana uh, it, it, alongside, you know, the Robert Whitaker Israel Adesanya fight. That to me is when I want to see Alexander Volkanovsky challenge for the title. And that is all the way in August, or I'm sorry, not August, October. That is all the way in October, October 5th at UFC 243. There's plenty of time between July and October to book another fight. This feels to me like the perfect setup for Volkanovsky to get a very cool homecoming while also taking care of uh, Frankie Edgar and what I feel like he really did deserve and earn a title shot. Maybe not in this particular moment, but he's he, he, he this is sort of a legacy title shot, and I don't mind it, to be honest. You know, I have the height of respect for Frankie Edgar. I think he's a great, an all-time great, without a doubt. But I, I just don't understand the logic of the, the Brian Ortega argument because the reason why that fight was so captivating is because Frankie laid it on the line. He was... Laying out, he he had all the momentum there. He was meant to fight for the title. It didn't happen. Brian Ortega comes in and he steals that momentum. He stole that from him that night, and then he went on to fight for the belt. So, you know, I don't, I don't understand why. Let's give it back to this guy who who laid it all on the line and lost. But know? so so here are the two alternatives, right? You're you're looking at an alternative where either Max Holloway is going to defend against Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, at some point, either really soon, and it would be a very quick turnaround. Maybe it would be this same, you know, July twenty seventh date. And at that point, you're giving Alexander Volkanovsky no time 
to recover mm-hmm. from this infection and also this fight, or you're putting Max Holloway on the shelf until October if you want to do the Australia show, right? Those are the two other options. I don't know that either of those two options are actually any good options or at least better than this. Yeah. I mean, like, give me a a better alternative. Give give me a better alternative and maybe I'll come to your side. No, I I don't have a better alternative to be honest. I don't, but I I don't think it would be the most terrible thing in the world for Max to sit out after that Holloway fight, you know, get his body properly prepared to go down to 45. Um, I do. I do. I'm looking forward to watch Holloway and Edward. Don't get me wrong. I, I definitely am going to be uh, excited for the, that fight as it approaches. But, you know, I honestly thought we would see Max taking a longer period off. But he he was the one that said, you know, when he was going to lightweight, I'm going to defend that belt. I'm going to be back down. I'll move between the two of them. And I think he does like to stick by his word and, and he loves to, um, you know, prove his worth. And this is a fight that's definitely going to do it. So, you know, I don't have another alternative. I wouldn't have been so disappointed if they were going to wait till the later stage of this year to put on Volkanovski and on Holloway. But I guess if the champion wants to defend his title and there's a willing partner there, a willing dance partner there, you know, they've got to make it happen. And I mean, I don't expect Zabit to be upset with this. You know, he's he's a stable mate of, uh, of Frankie's as well. And those guys love him. So that you're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear Zabit complain about it. So the only person that's really, that's put out, is Alexander Volkanovsky, as you say. But I do agree with you. He will be launched into the stratosphere if he gets a win over Frankie in Australia, you know? Yeah, I mean, as long as Alexander doesn't have to fight, I'm fine with this. If if the, if the UFC tries to make him fight one yeah, more time, okay. this is his next fight for the title. Yeah, as long as his next fight for the title, that's this is all gravy to me. I'm okay with this. This is perfect. My one reservation would be what you just mentioned in that it is a very short turnaround for Max Holloway, who just took a lot of damage against Dustin Poirier. That was a hellish fight, man. Yeah, man. And that, that was what? Three? It would be, it'll be about three months between those fights. That's not a lot of time to, to recover from something like that. But if Max wants to fight, like you said, you, you got the champ fight, I guess. We'd be given out if he wasn't, you know? Everybody would be saying, where is Max? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we have a ton of green questions today, so let's keep it moving. Move the green, lads, for Ireland. Come on! There you go. Next one's coming from Jay DeLuca. Uh, and this is an interesting one. It's a very long one, as Jay DeLuca likes to go. He likes to right now, go this guy's famous, right? Uh, so I'm going to summarize this where I can, but he writes, Megan O'Leary's idea of journalism. Farce interview with Ronda Rousey. This is already starting off great. Uh, <laughs> hi Shaheen and Pete again with this Pete I will not I will not address any more questions to Pete if, if you guys keep adding Pete in this uh, Ronda Rousey's interview that was released on Sunday with Megan O'Levy exhibited the antithesis of intelligent compelling and challenging journalism coming out strong Jada Luca Jesus uh, O'Levy came across as a public relations employer for the UFC intentionally pen- peddling softball overly friendly questions to- <laughs> okay I'm just gonna lots of uh Olivi didn't ask hard questions to, to Ronda. Uh, most MMA fans have moved on from Ronda as the patience and care has evaporated. Uh, yet still, sadly, to this day, Ronda's goal in policing speech by suppressing journalists' ability to be genuine journalists uh, allows us to wonder why I continue to provide her with a platform to speak. Uh, any remote sense of reasonable questioning that Ronda doesn't like allows she'll see pitchforks, blah, blah, blah. As journalists, uh, how farcical did you find this line of questioning in this interview? To Megan's credit, being employed by the UFC prevents any compelling, compelling and contentious lines of authentic journalism aside from rare moments. Uh, so that was that's an interesting question, yeah. I guess. Uh, J- Jada Luca, not a big fan of Megan Olivi. 
so I'm not going to lie, PZ. I did not they watch did not. this interview. Uh, I have no interest in hearing Ronda Rousey speak at this point. I'm not. If you put Ronda Rousey on an interview, I'm probably less likely to watch it than I would have been for most people. Uh, but so I will throw this to you and then I will come back to it. What do you, what's your take on this question? I'm gonna, you know, I didn't see it either, to be honest. Um, didn't watch it. Um, as far as, you know, Jay's comment on, on Rhonda kind of, you know, not, not, not allowing herself to be put on the microscope by journalists. You know, I have heard that I've never interviewed Rhonda myself, but an Irish colleague of mine actually flew to Canada once to uh, interview Rhonda before the EA sports game was released. Oh, I remember this. First question was, how are you dealing with that Holly home loss? Over. <laughs> interview over. He flew from Ireland to like Canada or something. And the, the interview was over as soon as he asked that question. So um, I have heard of that before. All right. But um, I'm afraid I did not watch Megan's interview with Ronda Rousey. And that maybe that says something about the the level of interest that there is in MMA with, with Ronda Rousey right now. You know, if me and you didn't watch this interview with a, with a former one of the biggest stars this sport has ever created. What what does that say, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just personally have no interest in hearing the same stuff from Ronda. I feel like if someone would would have done a a real uh, you know, hey, let's talk about these times type of interview, like I would be I would watch that because that's interesting to me. That's new. The, the, this stuff though, it's nothing to me. But I will say I believe this question is a little misguided to some degree because Megan O'Leary is 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 just she's an employee of the UFC. Like yeah, she's, not, not, she's not, she's not MMA fighting coming in doing this project with Ronda. She's an employee with the UFC. Like this is sort of how these things go. I don't know. I feel like you're coming at Megan maybe way too hard and maybe your expectations are out of line with what her actual job is. Her job sure. is to just have like a talk show type of interview with a nice interview with Ronda Rousey. She's not trying to piss off Ronda. Mm. Oh yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected her to, you know, to have barbed wire all over those questions definitely not you know if you're if, if ronda rousey's uh going to do an interview with the ufc that's her promoter that was her old promoter they're going to promote her you know yeah. <laughs> that's the way it yeah. is like, you know? the ufc is not in the in the business of burying ronda rousey if this was someone like a me or a you or a ariel hawani or a luke thomas or someone who was doing this interview i would expect it to go differently uh and if it didn't then maybe that that criticism would be warranted but i don't think that criticism is warranted at all it's it's a it's a show it's a piece of content produced by the ufc for the ufc for the ufc audience so i don't know that uh i think your just expectations are probably a little out of whack on that but let's keep it going next one's fr coming from matt the donk and he wants to talk about Ioana and jacek oh the biggest winner who didn't fight last weekend question mark Ooh. uh he writes am i right that saturday night was huge for Ioana? i feel like all of a sudden she might be one good win away from another title shot at 115 on the other hand, do you think the UFC will want to put Joanna in a position where she could become champion again? I can see reasons why they might give JJ a tougher road as they try to push a fresher face like Suarez or go with Michelle Waterson, who they really seem to think is has huge star potential. Joanna has already been to the top, and I think we all know what her star potential is. Uh, and so this is actually an interesting question that I had not considered much. Uh, but was Joanna and Jacek one of the biggest winners of Saturday Night Pizza? I don't know because obviously her last fight was for the flyweight title and um you know she was in a different division she had lost to, Ro to rose twice i do think as i said i i think she has fought 
Jessica better than anyone has. I thought, thought it was an absolute masterclass when she fought Andrade. But I think with Nina and Suarez already booked, it's going to be very hard for Joanna to fight and then jump that queue. You know what I mean? I think I think a lot of people are on the Suarez and Ansaroff buzz here. So I, I don't think it would be possible for her to get herself in title contention. But hey, Frank Yeager got a title shot. <laughs> nice callback, sir. Uh, I actually, I actually kind of agree with the premise of this question, and I, I, this isn't something I've given a lot of thought to before this, but I think he's actually onto something because Yanni and Jacek right now, if you look at the rankings, I know the rankings don't mean anything, but for some reason, we, I feel like we have to look at them to some degree because decisions are based based off of them. Uh, she's number three. She's still number three in, in her last fight in this division. She beat Tisha Torres, who's a very good name in this division. Uh, her only losses at 115 were to Rose Namajunas, who, like we talked about earlier, may not even fight again. If it, I agree that Tatiana Suarez and Nina Ansaroff are, should be next. But if, if Yuani and Jacek comes out there and gets a win over somebody like a Welly Zhang, who is calling her out quite a bit, that would be a great fight. Oh, my God. At that point, how can you not throw her back into this conversation, right? She has a definitive, definitive blowout win over Jessica Andrade, and she has mauled anybody else in this division who she has fought other than Rose Namajunas. Yeah, you know, you, you've you've sold it to me to a certain degree, especially with, with an opponent like Zhang. Um, that would be unbelievable. She, she looks incredible. So I think that, that would be a great fight. But it's just in terms of can they get that done before – answer off Suarez and you know I do think that um Jessica would be interested in fighting Joanna again given the stock that Joanna has you know everybody knows who Joanna is she's a she's a huge celebrity so that that could also kind of fortify Jessica's title reign as well you know with a win over Joanna well let me ask you because it feels as though we look at both of these women far differently than we did the last time they fought. You like Joanna Janjacek has lost 3 times over the last few years and it feels like her aura of invincibility that she definitely once had has somewhat vanished to some degree. I mean we've just seen her get knocked out, we've seen her get dominated in decisions. I don't know that people look at her the same way that they once did whereas Jessica Andrade has really started cultivating a, a image for herself as this uh supernatural destroyer of worlds just in terms of her strength and her power and what she the mauling that she can put on women in there uh that slam was ridiculous as we yeah, said would you would you, if these two were facing each other say next month would you favor jessica because i think i would yeah um whew. you know when you look at that first fight though man that yeah, was maybe that's just recency bias but i, I yeah I, and that happens but I always find it's very difficult for people to come back and avenge a loss when it's that one-sided. Um, it was basically, you know, maybe not as much volume as we saw from Rose in that first round, but it was the same kind of idea. I felt like Jessica couldn't get nearer, you know? So what changes? She's going to come forward with that with that pressure style that she has where she's just grinding on you and grinding on you. But if, if Joanna, who has a fantastic job, can keep on poking that in her face, it's going to be a tough night, you know? Um, it's a definite fight that they could sell, though, isn't it? You know what I mean? It, oh, absolutely. It makes perfect sense in that regard. So maybe I spoke too soon, Jay DeLuca. Who knows? Um, but look, you saw if she got a win over Wiley Zhang, absolutely that would open the floodgates, man, 100%. I, I guess it's what does Jessica want as well? You know, how does she feel about this? Um, you've just won the belt. Now we're going to put you in against a former champion. 
who handed you your last loss. Go for it, you know? I think she would welcome that. She probably think- would. Yeah, she seems like she's down for anything, man. Also, I, I feel like if uh, I like the Zhang fight, but also Joanna versus Michelle Watterson. To me, that could be a perfect next number one contender fight because Joanna's already said that she wants to sort of sit out for a little bit and just recover and, and take some time off. Wait out, wait out the Suarez answer off fight. They can fight in the interim. That the winner of that gets the champion, and then you do a number one contender fight maybe with Michelle Watterson. That to me also feels like a viable path. Yeah, absolutely, and that would be a, a great fight for the fans as well. Very, you know, two very different stand up styles going at it. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Well, hey, let's keep it moving and let's talk to the goat one two four who wants to who asks about UFC versus Bellator. Uh, who had the better weekend? UFC or Bellator with Chandler versus Pitbull and MVP versus Lima. I say Bellator are the bigger weekend, he writes. But what do you guys think? Thank you and keep up the hard work. Uh, and so Saturday night was a fun night, man. I, I don't love the two event nights. It's a lot of work. And also, I feel like it's hard to pay as much attention to when they're really good fights. It's hard to give them the attention they deserve because uh, you're basically doing two screens at once. And at one point, Aldo Volkonowski was starting yeah. off at the exact same time as Chandler Pitbull. And it's like, all right, this is this is like two of the most the fights I wanted to see the most. Why are we doing this? Uh, but it was a fun night. Controversy for both events. Big stuff happened at both events. Violent finishes at both events. Who do you think won the night? You know, um, I feel like... Well, I gotta, I gotta come at this from a European point of view, okay? Because MVP was fighting on that Bellator card, and he's a a, a big deal. It, and the fact that Bellator is now available to be watched live in the UK and Ireland, he feels it feels like it has a massive imprint now, a, a far bigger imprint. I noticed that all the traction online was about MVP the next morning in my neck of the woods, whereas in the US the conversation was more based around Andrade's finish of, of Rose. But I felt like the big thing everybody was talking about in the UK and Ireland was the KO finish of MVP. Um, you know, it it was obviously the controversial finish with Chandler and and, and Patricio was being discussed as well. Um, 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 I would agree. I'd say um, it, certainly in my neck of the woods, the Bellator event was probably that bit bigger. But, you know, I think I'm just thinking about this in terms of Rose versus MVP in terms of their finish, getting finished. You know, when you think about the UFC card, I had Aldo as well, you know, Anderson Silva. There was a lot of conversation around those kind of things as well. So hard to say, but I, I do think MVP, the finish of MVP was was the most talked about thing on, in the UK and Ireland the next day. I mean, I don't, I, I don't put a lot of stock. I don't like putting a lot of stock in, in metrics in terms of view, video views and page counts and things like that when it comes to this sort of conversation. But I, I do feel like there is merit to some degree in talking about that. And and if you look at all of the videos that we, because we had people on the ground for both events, you look at all the videos we that came out that night from our website. What by far has the most views? By far. It's MVP's post fight press conference. By far, it's doubling Rose. Basically, like he he is so far away in terms of video views for that press conference than every other person's post fight scrum or press conference. That actually blew me away. And so, to some degree, I want to say Bellator won the night, but I don't know that that's actually true though. Because if you look, and, and actually, the person who responded to this to the the person who asked this question, Eduardo Bueno, had a really interesting point, which is. Bellator's two biggest people that night were Michael Chandler and MVP. That's the two guys that they, if they could engineer some level of of agency for themselves to say, hey, these guys are going to come out on top, I think they would say that those two guys would come out on top because they draw the most eyes. 
Both of them got lost. Both of them lost. Both of them got knocked out to some degree, depending on what you think of the Chandler finish. Uh, whereas the UFC, I mean, it was just a regular night for the UFC. The Bellator for Bellator, it could almost be viewed as a bad night for Bellator. And I don't think I don't personally view that, but I think some people could. And it and it goes to one thing that I noticed throughout the night. And I guess it's something a, a larger prevailing narrative that I've sort of noticed just in general. And perhaps it speaks to a larger point about Bellator itself. But as an MMA world, why does it seem like the MMA world and the fan base doesn't care about the Pitbull brothers as much as they should? Because that's something that I've noticed and it doesn't, I don't understand it. And it's interesting to me because as fighters, they check all of the boxes, right? They're, they're, the Pitbull brothers are probably two of the most successful fighters in Bellator history. They're both known for very violent knockouts. Uh, they talk trash. They they create drama pretty regularly. They have incredible backstories of just overcoming really difficult circumstances. But yet we were just talking about MVP's video views and how how high they were compared to everybody else. Pitbull's post fight interview didn't even break ten thousand views. Like yeah. it was it was obscenely low. And and so why is that? Is that it, why? Because it seems like even if you write an article about either of the Pitbull brothers, it very rarely will do well. What is it about? I mean, is it, is it something about them? Maybe not speaking English. I don't, I don't, I mean, they do speak English to some degree, so I don't really know. And the only thing I can come up with is it, is it just the Pitbull name? Like, is that it? Is, is it just like, cause that's a very generic MMA nickname. Like if we gotten our fill of that nickname, like if they're named the grenade brothers, are we, are we looking at them differently? Like I, I genuinely confused about this because they're amazing fighters. What, what Patricio Pitbull has been able to do in Bellator is, is wild. And being the, now the champ champ beating Michael Chandler, that is incredible accomplishment. So it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, is, is there anything to be said for the fact that MVP has been pushed massively by Bellator? Michael Chandler has been the face of Bellator for so long. Like, have you seen the same, promotional push put behind the Pitbull brothers. For me, um, Bellator has only become really prevalent over here since that deal has been struck. You know, we're a lot more aware of promos. Uh, they're probably more directed towards us. But I haven't seen a hell of a lot about the Pitbull brothers. You know? I mean, they, uh, I, that's fair. But to combine, I, th I feel like they've headlined 4,000 different Bellator events. <laughs> something, right? Like, seriously, that has to account for something. Yeah, yeah, and that is that is putting promotional weight behind someone, right? And uh, maybe you're right about the pitbull thing. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Like, I mean, it, it's not because they're Brazilian. We have loads of we've had loads of Brazilian stars in the sport. Um, it's, I don't really know. Um, they they, like, they, they, like talk, Canada, they talk tons of trash. I mean, Patricio Pitbull's post fight promo where he's in the cage being like, "I'm the champ, champ, fuck you." Like that was that a was. That was a great promo. I was I was enjoying that, man. I I really wonder if it's just we got we have our fill of the pitbull name between all of the Tiago Alvarez's and Andre Olaskis and and Bechkoeas, and there's just so many pitbulls that maybe like I said, like if these dudes are named the Jackhammer Brothers, like are we just talking about them differently? Yeah, I love all of these names that you're giving them. The Grenade Brothers, top of the list, though. That was that was amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe that is the case. Like I felt like. I don't know if if, if uh, US viewers picked up on this or, or people who are follow our site, but there was a little thing popping off between SPG and the Pitbull brothers. 
Yeah. So there was all these different and and that felt like they were very prevalent over here for a while. Nearly every interview any of the SPG guys were doing, they were nearly trying to work themselves into a fight with either Patricio or Patricio. So that was um that was that kind of made them a, a kind of a bigger thing in the, in this neck of the woods. Um, but maybe, maybe that's what to do with them, you know, bring them over here, bring them to different places and, and kind of show them off. If it hasn't been a hit in the US, maybe we hit somewhere else. Yeah, I, I have no idea. It's 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 puzzling to me, but I guess and it's also just unfortunate to me because they are very entertaining guys and very talented guys. But uh I mean can, can I just ask you one thing about the uh the videos you said about MVP? Was did you say that that was his post fight press conference rather than the finish itself? Like people were watching him just speaking at the press conference. Yeah, yeah. I mean the finish itself has something like almost a million views at this point. Yeah. But so yeah, his post fight his post fight press conference was by far the most watched post fight press conference of the day. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I it, it surprised me considering all that happened Saturday night. But hey, people the people like what the people like, you know. I think a lot of people were waiting for MVP to to. We were talking about get, people getting their comeuppance. I think a lot of people were waiting for MVP to maybe get his comeuppance to some degree. I don't know what that actually means, but the people definitely seem to revel in, in that knockout to a degree. Yeah, there was lots of talk over here as well. Everybody was asking me, no, now he's going to change. He won't be like that. I was like, he would be crazy to change the way he has carried himself. Look look at what it's done for him. It would be like, same with James Gallagher. When he got his first loss, everyone's like, that's going to shut him up. He's still <laughs> the guy everybody's asking for. Like, you know, we had yeah. uh, Bellator Birmingham, Dominic Wo- uh, Dom, Dom Wooding, like a great young prospect. He was asking for him straight away. You had Chris... Uh, Lencioni, isn't it, over at the last Bellator event, calling for him as well. You know, he is still very much the guy with the target on his back. There's no way MVP comes back to this and everyone's like, oh, he's old news. I don't want to fight that guy. Everybody's going to want to fight him. He's a proven product now. Every Everybody knows who this guy is. People are going to still want to fight him, and he's still going to draw a crowd the next time he fights. I really believe that. Also, man, credit to him. He didn't have to do that post-fight interview. He had just gotten knocked out pretty bad. Uh, he came to the he came and talked to the media, and he was very gracious. I mean, he 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 accepted the defeat in a in a way that I think surprised a lot of people. And and more power to him, man. He he handled that loss as well as he possibly could have. Yeah, and people don't even understand like a guy from a sport karate background like that. He's probably he's probably fought matches over three hundred fifty matches in his life. You know what I mean? He he is. He has faced defeat before. Yeah. This is not a new thing for him. Um, to even fight in the manner that he does, there must be so much failing along the way there until you get comfortable in that kind of stance and that style. And, and, you know, he's, he's absolutely uh, been defeated before. And that's the experience that you saw there, him carrying himself in such a positive manner. I definitely believe that. Yeah, that's a great point that I had not considered. Uh, let's keep moving. Let's get this next one from Lucian. Who are now we're returning to Rose Nama Yunus and let's have this retirement conversation. Uh, greetings on this fairest of days. I love your intro, Lucian. Before anything else, hopefully this May Wednesday finds you both, but finds both of you esteemed journalists in good spirits. My goodness, wow. what, a, what a gentleman and a scholar. I appreciate you. Uh, as stunning as the finish for the strawweight title fight was, for me the most surprising element was Rose's comments after the fight. Not only stating that she felt like a weight had been lifted off her shoulders with losing the title, but verbalizing the, the actual retirement thoughts at the press conference. As people who follow the sport closely, do you think a top-level fighter can come back with the same fire after expressing such thoughts? I just personally couldn't come up with any examples of it and feel that that was a moment I personally no longer felt she would be able to come back to the top. 
Uh, and so now let's have this conversation, PT, because I think Rose surprised a lot of people by in multiple interviews after that fight saying, uh, maybe I'm done. Maybe I, I this is sort of, I'm, I, she's thinking about that even before the fight, that maybe this is my last one. Immediately after getting, losing in, in such a stunning fashion, she even says, as this gentleman uh, noted, took a weight off my shoulders to no longer have this title, a comment which sort of mystified and baffled Daniel Cormier, who could not understand where, where Rose was coming from. Uh, what do you make of, of everything we saw from Rose after that fight on Saturday? Um, when I hear somebody talk about things like that and, and, and if their heart's not in it, this is the wrong sport to be in if your heart isn't in it. It's the wrong sport. You, this is the hurt business, as we all know. There's no point in showing up to fight if your heart's not in it. You know, this is something she's really going to have to think about uh, before we see her next. Like a lot of people, just for example, uh, 25-year-old Tom Dukenwa was one of the highly, most highly touted prospects in all of Europe, in all the world, before he signed for the UFC. He said his heart wasn't in it the other day and he retired. I completely went, that's fine. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, what a waste, what a waste. If your heart's not in it, you shouldn't be in a cage. You shouldn't be in a cage fighting someone with four ounce gloves. It's too dangerous. Look at look at the finish the other night. Like there's no there's no doubt about it that that's a dangerous situation to be in. And if your heart's not in it, you shouldn't be doing it. Like I honestly feel that way. She'd be a, a huge loss to the sport. But I think she's putting herself in danger by going in there and fighting if her heart's not in it. And she and if she half arsed it, honestly. I I have to say I wasn't as surprised as I think I I maybe should have been. And, and yeah, I, I was. Yeah, and, and you're not the only one, right? Like, it felt like half the people were surprised and half the people were kind of, I don't want to say expected this, but just, it just was, it's, it wasn't surprising to hear because Rose has always been a very unusual, uh, in a good way, unusual person. Like, she's a very different type of character than we get in this fight game uh, very often. She's open. She's honest. She is extremely articulate with just... Uh, I guess, articulating those, those thoughts and those nerves and the worries and everything, all of the darkness that sort of comes with this game inherently, because this is a very dark game. We talk lightheartedly about these people getting knocked out and all of the, what are the stakes to this fight and the pressure for this, but it is very real human emotion backed by very real human consequences that could be very far-reaching consequences. And Rose seems like someone who who understands that better than anyone out there and she has for a long time we her i think the, that's part of the reason why people connect to her so much is because she really lets people in in a way that very few public figures do especially professional athletes especially combat sports athletes where being that big strong tough person is sort of the ideal that that person that nothing bothers me a lot of things bother her and she tells us about it and I think people relate to that on some level and maybe that's why they are feel so connected to this journey that she has been on uh so I, I i wasn't surprised to hear that and i i don't know that i would be i would be a little surprised if we never see her again but i don't i at this point i i don't think we'll get a lot uh, that many more fights out of her like if we got three more fights out of her and that was it and that was sort of the end of the road i don't i, I wouldn't be shocked would you be shocked Oh, not at all. Like, and this, like, Rose's is so unique, as you said. This could be it. Like, I don't feel like she throws out words lightly. I don't feel like she said that, oh, let's, let's let the media have a field day with this one. You know, that's not the attitude she has. She doesn't say things lightly. She means what she says. She speaks from the heart, as you said. So I think that's a very serious situation that and, she's looking at now. Right? It deserves to be serious. And, it, and 
to speak to that, our own Guillermo Cruz even asked her on on Saturday night, "Do you do you almost regret being this honest with the media? Because now we we're just going to be basically forced to ask you this question over and over again about retirement and that sort of thing." And even to that, she was just, "No, I I I I, I want to speak from the heart. I I want to let you guys know how I'm feeling. I don't regret." ever being this honest and and like even to that degree like that's a very interesting and compelling thing to hear from someone who we sort of look at, at in the in this space as being you know this master combat sports athlete this champion uh it, it's 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 been a wild ride with her man she's only 26 she's only 26 but it feels like we have she's been in our lives for a long time because of how young she was when she started and i also she also feels to me and, and this isn't anything new but like somebody who would be very happy just disappearing off the map, going off the grid, buying buying you know tons of acreage in the middle of maybe the Midwest or the uh, the Northwest or something, and 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 just living life, living with Pat with with you know Pat Barry and her dogs and her friends and her family and just sort of existing without having all of these weird MMA sort of pressures on her every day. Yeah, it does feel like it was a significant weight on her shoulders. You know, from that was, as you said, such a huge line for her to say, like, you know, it's a relief. You know, that, that's a crazy situation when you consider, you know, you've got 600 people on that roster vying for one of those belts. And then as soon as she gets it, she just feels this enormous pressure from it, you know? And she isn't reveling in it like we've seen others, like Henry Cejudo, for example. Like, you know, <laughs> he, can, he loves being a champion. He loves rubbing it in people's faces. That's the complete opposite of what Rose was, you know? It, it was very res- reminiscent of George St. Pierre in a, in, a, in a few ways, where it's just that that sort of introspective person, that introspective athlete, where they they feel that to to a degree that it almost feels suffocating or seems suffocating. Like that's why George left is it was because he just couldn't handle it anymore, and he, or he didn't want to handle it anymore. Uh, I don't know. What's that? Anything said for the you know the fact that she had been knocked out and now she's talking. You know, like it's not a it's not a, a perfect situation to be talking you know like straight after a situation like you've been separated from your senses and now you're you're pushing for the media well i'm sure she wanted to, to do that uh interview but you know can I we think, i think that's fair i think that's definitely fair uh because she had just been very brutally knocked out and is giving this interview in the octagon but she did reiterate all of this stuff sort of throughout the rest of the night so i don't know i mean the done you know you know that it's still a very close proximity from you being completely concussed you know like so i'm just saying like i mean i'm i'm not i'm not um forecasting that she's going to do a, a complete 180 on this but I, I just think that needs to be factored into it as well like you know we, we don't need to go back to the whole steep a tapped situation there with alistair over him you know but it, it is it is a real thing you know this is real life stuff there you know yeah uh, well, she will, she is a forever compelling character in the sport. And, and it, to close this topic, if I put an over under to you of 2.5 fights left in the UFC for her, meaning if she had, if you take the under, you think she just has two or less, take the over, you think she has three or more. What would you put your money on? Based on her, just her age, I'd say over. Over? Uh, but, but like I'm forecasting that off the, over the next, you know, six, seven years, I think she could fight three times easy. Yeah. So you think she definitely slows down then, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't think she enjoys the whole process. I don't think she enjoys the spotlight. You know, even though she's actually great in the spotlight, I don't think she's she loves it, you know? And I think you have 
on the opposite end of that spectrum, you have someone like McGregor when he first emerged, who was loving every second of it, you know, who was relishing that moment in the light. Um, and I, I just don't think she is that person. And that's probably what makes her so attractive to fans and media, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, hey, let's keep things moving. We have so many questions today, so we're going to keep things moving. Uh, the, the people want to hear from you, Pizzi. This next one's coming from, from Hardy Har Har, who wants to know about Brazilian crowd and Jaron Carnier's response. Fellas, fellas, what a wonderful day to discuss this bizarre world of MMA. That is a great first line. I love that. Uh, so what is the deal with the Brazilian crowd? If anybody could appreciate a good fight, I think it would be the good folks from the MMA home world, home of the Gracies. But it turns out if any non-Brazilian wins, it's either silence or booze. Speaking of Brazilian booze, what's the best fighter response to this jeering? Jared Cannonier seems to have set a new standard, just standing silent like a grade school teacher waiting for the children to <laughs> shut up. Uh, so I loved everything about this. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was very, I'll caveat all of this and preface all this by saying it was very, uh, scary. What happened to Anderson Silva? I think when that happened, every, the same thought ran, that ran through my head, ran through everybody's head where it's just like, Jesus Christ, this is the same leg with this guy. This maybe he had, maybe this happened again. It seems now that maybe it's not as serious as we, as we thought initially. So that is good. Uh, but Jared Cannonier's response to sort of, the five minutes after after he, he defeats Anderson Silva was amazing to me. Him standing there in the middle of this arena, drowning in the booze and just silently watching, soaking up this environment. I, I am so here for that. That was an amazing, incredible moment to watch. I just loved everything about that. That was pro wrestling 101, and I know people will hate that, but that was just that was a master class of working a crowd like that. Uh, what, were, what, what were you thinking watching that? I thought it felt like time froze. You know, I was like, oh my God, is he going to say something? Say something. <laughs> but actually, I was looking at what was happening, but I was still like, this is awkward. Say something to them. And I thought it was incredibly disrespectful, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, you thought, my, my, you the crowd reaction was disrespectful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I should have should have been more clear about that. But, um, you know, my uh, co-host in Eurobash, Noel McGrath, he made, a, he made a good point about this. He was like, if anyone should be booed in this situation, it's Anderson Silva, who says in the interview afterwards, this my knee went three times in the lead up to this fight. Why are you fighting? You, you're, you're fighting with this injury has resulted in this situation. You can't blame the guy for, uh, you know, execute, executing some beautiful leg kicks. You know, that's that's what he did. He he caused that situation to happen. Um, you know, does should Anderson be the one getting the booze from the crowd, given that he has come into this fight not fully fit? And I know fighters usually aren't 100 percent fit when they get in there. The nature of this game, you're gonna get injuries. But you know, for, for the, the leg to not hold up for for five minutes when he knew he had an injury there, I mean, shouldn't he be the guy that's receiving the criticism rather than Cannonier? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I can understand to some degree the Brazilian crowd's reaction, right? Because this is just this this was on a uh, it was a sort of a slow build throughout the night. Brazilians were losing. Jose Aldo had just lost, and then Anderson Silva gets injured like that. And I think maybe it was partly also because the Jared Cannonier sort of doing this and and playing up like playing it up in the initial like the initial thirty seconds after he beat Anderson Silva. I don't think people in the crowd liked that because of the way it went down. Uh, but this is just country pride at, at work right like we would see this in ireland it, oh yeah yeah if, if some if someone beat conor mcgregor that way like 
do you think the Irish crowd's going to applaud them? Like, this is their own legend. This is their own guy. Like, they're not going to just be like, yeah, great, Jared Cannonier, great job. Really well, like what you did there. All you have to do is look at the the disgraceful behavior when they brought the world tour here to Dublin. You know, that was a joke. I was ashamed <laughs> to be that day. I was like, this is a this is a fucking joke, man. Like, you know, that's a the legend of the sport up there. And you're asking them, you know, just the stuff they were saying, like about his mother and stuff like that. Oh man, that was that's embarrassing. Like uh, I don't like it. I've talked about it a lot. I think it it makes us do you know what pissed me off about that? I know I'm going off on a segue here. No, but, I like it. I like it. Please go. It pissed me off because we lived up to every stereotype the Irish people have around the world that day. Everyone was shit-faced drunk in the crowd, and they were just talking utter bollocks. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't right. I'm glad Neil Siri got on the microphone later on that night and said, you know, that don't don't think we're all like that. There's some real MMA fans here who want to hear what Jose has to say. It's just the drunk animals making a joke out of us. So, yeah, I don't like that kind of stuff. I think I think Cannonier played it very well, and it worked out in his favor because he was very composed in that situation. Like, can you imagine how bad, like, if I was in that situation, I had, like, all the 10,000-odd 10, people booing at me. I'd shit my pants. You know what I mean? He just dealt with it so well, man. He, like, like water off duck's back. <laughs> yeah i don't think i would handle that situation well but i'm not i'm not that's why i'm not in there uh i guess my last thing i want to i want to talk add to this uh i'm really impressed by jared cannonier man that is a that is a really interesting man who has really done this late in, in his sort of athletic life like he is in his mid to late 30s and he he's a guy who started at heavyweight he's come down now to middleweight and he he's finding real success uh, it seems like his marriage with the MMA lab here in Arizona is a really good marriage. They work together really well, and they've gotten the best out of him. And he is a fascinating cat. Like, if you listen to Garamay Cruz's, our own Garamay Cruz's interview with, with Jared uh, on Media Day last week, he's a really interesting guy who has gone through some wild experiences in his life. Like, I, I'm, I'm sort of here to see where Jared Cannonier can go and what his ceiling is in this 185-pound division. How about the fact that he was on the verge of being cut at 205? He was two losses in a row at 205. If he had taken another loss before dropping down to 185, actually, if he had lost in his 185 debut, he could be he could have been looking at his marching orders. And yeah. now he's got two very much talked about finishes in that division. And, and suddenly a lot of things are happening for him. Talk about a resurgence. Talk about a 180 in terms of his career trajectory. It, it's a brilliant story, you know? Yeah, I mean, what back-to-back -back first round finishes over David Branch and Anderson Silva? Like that's that's legit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, let's keep things moving. Next question is coming from. Let's see. It seems like Kay Tweaks had a question, but then it was answered by Eduardo Bueno. So we'll let that one sit. Thank you, Eduardo, for getting that. Uh, this next one is your specialty, PT. Kalev twenty one wants to know about Conor McGregor. <laughs> With Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone lined up, Habib and Dustin seemingly lined up, and Nate being matched with Anthony Pettis, who is left for Connor to fight? Have we seen the last of him in the cage? P.S. I know Justin Gaethje is available, but that doesn't seem like a fight Connor would take. So, Pizzi, you actually just came from a media day at SBG in Ireland. Uh, so I feel like you are the best man to answer this question. Yeah. Uh, what is next for Connor? What do you expect? Do you see expect anything? Um, you know, I think it's it's very tough for Connor. I think he's in a must win situation now. 
um, given you know it's, it's 2016 that fight against Alvarez uh, the last time we saw him uh, you know being victorious in there um, I, I was speaking to one of his chief sparring partners Peter Queedy today I'm sure a lot of people who follow Connor are aware of Peter he's a Bellator fighter and he has been sparring with Connor in the lead up to his fight with Terry Brazier on June 22nd and um, I was also speaking to John Kavanagh both of those guys believe that Connor will fight before the end of 2019. Now, when they say the end of 2019, that makes me believe it will be towards the end of the year. It's not going to be um, mixing up any of these dates with Khabib and, and Poirier, anything like that. I believe that these things can play out and then Connor's going to get involved. That That's how I see it at the moment. Um, you know, usually you hear a lot of things being in Ireland, being so close to the, to the camp over there, you hear a lot of stuff, you know, if something's going down is about to go down, you usually can feel it. You usually get that kind of feeling. I'm not getting that kind of feeling at the moment. Um, you know, I, I do think that he will want to put his oar in, get in the mix with that conversation, uh, whatever happens with Khabib in September. But I do, I do think, um, we could be looking towards the end of this year or maybe early next year for a fight, to be honest. Because, I mean, you're right. There, there is no readily available options. To be honest, when the Pettis and Diaz fight was announced, I don't know if Diaz, uh, how, how, can, <laughs> how uh, full on Diaz is with that. I was kind of thinking, Connor has done this before where he kind of nearly gets into Nate's head and he's kind of like, why don't, we, why don't you wait for us to fight? And then suddenly everything is off. I, I, I don't know. I felt like Diaz was the option for Connor at this stage because they both had time off. I felt that he got a one-sided loss against Khabib. He, he didn't look anything like his former self in that fight. So I did expect Nate to be the good option. Um, but now he's off the table. So I do think we're going to see, if we see him back, it will be towards the end of, the, of uh, this year, early next year probably. Well, I want to ask you about that and follow up on what you just said because is he off the table? Because if, if if this is the timetable that we're looking at now and, and you think it's going to be probably the end of the year or the beginning of next, which I agree with you, it feels like, I mean, it, it, Dustin is fighting Habib. So that fight, you can lock that in. But it feels like Connor would have a couple really interesting options with the next fight, few fights that are going to play out because if Nate Diaz defeats Anthony Pettis, suddenly Nate Diaz is back. He is back in the conversation. He is back just in this whole aura of MMA, this discussion that we have every week. Uh, and that, to me, makes that fight bigger. That, to me, makes the, the trilogy fight with Connor much, much bigger. And that and there would certainly be time for it. I mean, that fight, is, that fight against uh, Anthony Pettis is in, in a month or two. Uh, and also, Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone. Both of those men have been linked to Connor in various ways over the years. Would the winner of that fight also be very much lined up, timeline-wise, but also just in the, within the division to fight Connor. So you, you then you have, because either of those, Tony Ferguson or Donald Cerrone, they have a history with Connor, but you could sell either of those fights. So to me, it feels like one of those three guys, uh, Nate Diaz or the Tony and Donald winner. If you're, if, if Connor can't come back and fight for a title, one of those three guys would seem like the obvious next step. And they would all sort of be lined up for him just timeline wise, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is depending on how much momentum uh, Cerrone could potentially pick up or Ferguson because he definitely wasn't interested in those fights, I feel like. Because we heard, obviously, he had that back and forth with Cerrone and everybody was talking about that fight. That fight was on the table if he wanted it, you'd imagine. You know, everybody was, was this fight can happen. Dana was talking about it. But around that time, 
when I was speaking to people close to that camp, all they were saying is all he's talking about is Nate and Khabib. And I really feel like that's what he's going to be looking at regardless of the situation, unless something crazy happens, unless someone goes into the stratosphere, either Ferguson or Cerrone. Um, I feel like McGregor is focused on either Diaz or Khabib and, and something would have to change significantly for him to take his focus off those two guys. All right. Well, hey, that is good information. Let's keep it moving. Uh, I, I now, now I'm catching myself. Y'all always make fun of me for saying, well, hey, a bunch. And I've, I've now, now I'm like super aware of it. And like, that's definitely my transition between questions. So I'm going to try to stop that because I just literally caught myself doing it again. Uh, this is why you shouldn't read the comments, but I just can't help myself. I always read the comments. Uh, so let's see. Next call. <laughs> that's my new one. Let's see. Uh, next one's coming from Marty from Nebraska. I don't know that any of these are questions. Seems like he just kind of wants me to read his thoughts. Uh, Do it. I don't know that I want to entertain this. <laughs> I don't want to encourage this. All right, I'll do it once, but I'm not, we're not going to deal with these type of questions later. Uh, can we stop pretending, and it's a point-by-point point list, that MVP was close to being considered a legit contender, that we don't see Scott Coker's GPs are even worse than Bjorn's, uh, that Frankie Edgar is not a legit contender for the belt and everybody wanted to see Max versus Volkanovski, that anyone cares about Henry Cejudo, that Jake Hager is not a dummy, and finally that nobody cares about Betchkoya and she manages to be worse than Hager and Cachoeira combined. Uh, those are not questions. Next time, <laughs> ask us questions, Marty from Nebraska, or write a blog post yourself. Uh, I am going to continue moving on. And this I enjoy one... <laughs> uh, This next one's coming from Combat Chief, who wants to know about Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis, as we were just talking about. Uh, I am really pumped for this fight, he writes. Nate is the better boxer. Pettis has trouble with pressure fighters, and Nate has insane endurance. Sean, Peter... Oh, now we're getting Peter. Uh, okay. Break down this fight and talk about where a win puts each guy's. Thanks. So I was surprised when this one was announced. Uh, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Sp having heard from Duke Rufus now, the coach of one, Anthony Pettis, it feels as though this was something that was sort of negotiated behind the scenes with Nate Diaz's team pinpointing Anthony, D or Anthony Pettis and sort of just reaching out to them and them working it out and then bringing that to the UFC, which is a very interesting uh, it's a very interesting way for a fight to come together. And to me, that, that's reminiscent of, of how Nate and Connor sort of got their rematch put together where they were sort of standing side by side against the UFC and saying, this is what we want to happen. And this is what is going to happen. And the UFC eventually just had to go along with it. Uh, I like that to some degree. I think that's Nate Diaz flexing a little bit. That's quite cool. But on a matchup level, this is actually a really fun matchup to me. I like that it's at welterweight. It kind of, it's, 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 it's an interesting factor for two, you know, longtime lightweights. Also, just the style matchups. I mean, who has Anthony Pettis historically struggled against the most? Wrestlers. Nate Diaz isn't going to be wrestling. There is a bunch of history between these two men that's been bad blood for years. Uh, I like everything about this fight. I have a Nate Diaz picture right there, so I, I maybe I'm a little biased. But, Pizzi, what, what, what did you think when you heard of Nate Diaz's return and the opponent that he was getting? I was skeptical that it would happen, and I still am. <clears throat> um, I really want it to happen. I think it's fantastic. And to be honest, <clears throat> I haven't, re I didn't really didn't consider the ramifications of this fight until you were just talking about it in terms of Connor. The fact that you just said that Nate Diaz, it looks like Nate Diaz targeted Pettis and said, "I want to fight him." Do you think he did that with the McGregor trilogy fight in mind? Is Pettis 
in his opinion, a good matchup for him, a guy he can strike against, a guy he can put on an exciting fight against and get a win against to put him in the driving seat when it comes back to that trilogy fight with McGregor. Do, do you reckon that's what he was kind of thinking about when he pinpointed Pettis? Absolutely. I think that's definitely in the thought process of it. Because Nate, same type of situation as Anthony. Who, who has he struggled most against throughout his career? It's pressure wrestlers. Uh, and, and and that's not Anthony Pettis. I think he he saw someone who had a lot of momentum after the Stephen Thompson knockout who could fight at 155 or 170, so it's kind of some leeway there. He won't have to cut weight uh, as much for 170. And just pinpointed that and said, you know, this is the one I can sort of re-enter me into this, and then I can make a ton of money later on once I'm back in this conversation. I absolutely think that played a part in it. Yeah, that it, it literally just, as you said that, when we were talking about the situation, it, it made a lot of sense to me too. Um, I feel it is risky though. I feel it's very risky when you're, you're, you're coming back after such a long layoff and you're coming back against a guy who pretty much shocked the whole community with that knockout of Wonderboy. You know, like this guy, obviously, we, we know he has a, a fantastic strike in Arsenal. Um, he obviously, his power translates very well at 170. And you have Diaz, who, who, who is going to be coming off the shelf to a certain extent. Well, he definitely is. It's, I mean, it's, is it three years? So, yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like it makes a lot more sense after you saying that. But I'm still skeptical, man. I can't help it. I just... I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair, right? Like, we've been burned by Nate Diaz at this point. Uh, I think a lot of people were disappointed the Poirier fight didn't come to, to uh, pass in MSG. Uh, so I think that's fair. But it does, I mean, he is, this is a man who has wanted to fight for a long time. And it's just he, him and the UFC do not see eye to eye on a lot of different things. He doesn't like the, the way the UFC does business, and he tries to do business a different way. And they don't like him doing business that way. Uh, and so... I, I mean, I think that still is possible that that comes into this at some point, but I really hope it doesn't because it, it, this this sport is a better place when Nate Diaz is involved. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I can remember his when he came back to fight Johnson before he kind of put himself in line for McGregor. It felt like fight weeks had suddenly changed immediately because Nate was involved and he's talking and he's just so different, so unique. I mean, he's a guy who reverberates hugely with the Irish fan base as well. You know, when him and when him and Connor are fighting, obviously you're going to see all the fanboys going over to support him. But among the the hardcore MMA fans in Ireland, that was split right down the middle. That really was. You know, he was he's a guy that just captivates everyone, and um, I think he's a huge star. And and certainly, um, either at welterweight or 155, he's adding a lot to either of those divisions. To be honest with you, but it's just will it happen? And I, I can't help but think that there's going to be a few more shakes left in this tail before it happens, you know? Yeah, and that's totally deserved, I think, to some degree. I, I, my only, I would say my only qualm with this one is the same qualm I had with the Dustin Poirier fight. Why is this three rounds? Why mm -hmm. th th This needs to be a five-round fight. The, the Nate Ferguson, one of three. What's that? Ferguson and Cerrone is uh, three rounds as well, isn't it? That's exact same conversation I want to have with them. Why are these fights three rounds? They're, they're, you, these fights deserve to be five rounds. Nate Diaz is one of the biggest stars in this sport, even still today. No matter what the UFC thinks about that, that's an absolute fact. He deserves a bigger spotlight than just a three-round fight on a, on a you know some level, like a the third fight or the co-main event of some card. Like this should be a five-round fight with the spotlight and the eyes on it to then elevate the winner into a very cool place afterwards. And that just doesn't feel like that's, it doesn't feel like it's that can happen with sort of a three round placement on just a random pay-per-view. 
uh, as we sh- as we're getting. I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if there's ways to make. Sp- I mean, obviously there is. The UFC can do whatever they want, but I don't know if it's that you just make step special stipulations where certain contendership fights are five rounds no matter what. I don't know if it's just you you try to target these type of fights for for ESPN shows rather than pay per views. But how are we not getting five rounds out of this? This needs to be a five round fight, especially all the history between these two men, both of them. Especially Nate Diaz just being a snowball rolling down a hill type of guy. He gets better with with each passing round. This needs to be five rounds. Yeah, and I feel like both of those fights where we mentioned uh, Pettis, Nate, Cerrone, and Tony, those are the kind of fights that people are, that could absolutely go three rounds, could go the 15 minutes, and people are going to have that feeling. I can imagine Twitter that night. Why isn't this a five-round fight? And I do feel like, I feel like um, it might have been you you uh, who kind of said this maybe before or I listened to you on a podcast talking about it. Like maybe that once you're in the top 10, you know, um, you know, and you're fight, fighting for those positions right before the title, maybe then it, it should be a, a five-round fight. Maybe maybe we need to put some stipulation in there because I feel like both of these fights should be fives, you know? They, they're they main events every day of the week on any card. Um, so why not do it? And I do feel like people are going to be pissed if, if, if one of these goes the distance because I feel like there's there's so much more to see in these kind of contests, especially, as you said, Nate grows as the fight goes on. And so if he say if if Pettis has a great first two rounds and Nate has a brilliant third round, what is everybody going to say at the end of that fight? Yeah. If it goes, you know, and I, and I can see that happening. And Cerrone's another guy who does that. Yeah. You know, he, he tend to grow as a fight goes on. Same um, with Tony Ferguson. Same with Tony Ferguson. These are these are the ideal candidates to go five rounds. You know what I mean? Really? So yeah. um, it, that's yeah. what gets me. That's what gets me. Just because it's so arbitrary, right? Because this weekend we're going to get Kevin Lee and, and Javier dos Anjos. They're going to go five rounds. Those are great. Both those guys are great fighters. No disrespect to either of them, but I think if we could, if we were given a choice in front of us of, hey, here's three fights, the the two we were just talking about, and then this weekend's fight, you can pick two of them to be five rounds. I think every person who's an MMA fan on the planet would pick the two that are not five rounds to be five rounds. And so it's Absolutely. really just arbitrary of how, where you're getting thrown onto the schedule. If you're headlining some show in Montana somewhere you're going to fight in five rounds whether you deserve it or whether that fight deserves it or not uh it just it's a little too arbitrary for my days like should they bring in a, a stipulation where you're ranked a certain amount once one of those fighters is involved it needs to be five rounds like that could lead to some horror shows as well believe me but <laughs> it's uh it's there's definitely i think there's definitely a way to do case by case i mean some people will say it's not fair but nothing in this game is fair uh so I frank yegger a toilet shot uh with that let's keep things moving uh this one's coming from lodovic and this is the last one on the mma fighting page uh tony ferguson we just talked about this a little bit but let's get a little more into it hi guys but especially sean my fellow tony ferguson groupie (laughs) well 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 i'm insulted frankly let's keep this moving hey lodovic is a saint you i will not stand for lodovic uh hatred on this show uh could you guys share your excitement for his return how do you see the matchup with Cowboy? Are you surprised slash disappointed the fight is not the a five-round main event as we were just talking okay. about? Uh, will Cowboy's trademark activity be a huge factor, especially considering Tony hasn't had an MMA as his main focus recently? Is it good or bad it was made just only a few weeks away? And is there anything else that came to your mind when the fight was announced? El Kakui is back, guys! Exclamation point, exclamation point, uh, exclamation point. Thanks a lot. So... This is the last big fight announcement that we have had over this past week, and it was a good one. Uh, it was also a very, very short notice. 
I mean, this fight is going on next month uh, <laughs> within a span of weeks. Uh, so it came together very, very quickly. Tony Ferguson changed management and he wanted back in uh, and he got back in. Tony and, and Donald Cerrone is getting a very quick turnaround here and a chance to really put himself at the peak of the title conversation very quickly. Uh, I love everything about this fight. I think that is no surprise to anybody who watches this show. I am the biggest Tony Ferguson mark on the planet. I'm glad he is back in this. I hope he is well mentally and just uh, everything going on in his personal life. But I am psyched, or I'm stoked, I should say, for the return of El Kukui. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am as well. I, I admit that I am late to the Ferguson party. I, I wasn't in full adoration of him for a long time, but uh, I've grown to love his wacky ways. And he's a fantastic fighter. That that was never doubt. That was never in doubt. Um, I do worry a little bit about you know the situations outside of the cage that we had with with Tony. And I do I do hope he's all there, all together, and he, he's in his full faculties. Um, that kind of stuff just worries me all the time when I see that. And maybe that that's maybe the only reason why I'm kind of like this is very short notice. But by all accounts, um, under new management this is what tony ferguson wants so i mean if to tony ferguson wants it i'm guessing he feels as if he's in full he's in good health and he and he's ready to go so it's a fantastic fight um i feel like the 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 grappling exchanges are going to be quite interesting here i do give obviously tony is a a big wrestling advantage but cerrone's got one of the most underestimated guards in mixed martial arts it's so quick the way he uh latches up submissions and stuff like that i'd be very interested to see him underneath tony see how he got on there he he loves scrambles both of the guys the guys love scrambles as well so i think it's, it's very nice i think a lot of people be uh I, I think i might give the more conventional approach to striking cerrone style the advantage on the feet but uh tony gets the edge on the ground but i'm very interested to see it all play out you know i'm really interested to see these guys exchanging with each other really uh interested to see them kind of um trying to trying to go at it on the ground it, it's a very interesting fight no matter what way you look at it really even the personalities it's just it's very good yeah the dynamics that play in this fight both stylistically and like you said personality wise are very uh they're they're wonderful to be honest like both of these guys are, are of the same mind of line them up i don't care who they are just keep it going old school fighter in that way and and also stylistically, like they are both just bad men. They're psychopaths. Like like, whereas anytime you can see two psychopaths just really go at it, like that's one that often provides some of the coolest form of entertainment in the sport. It's another example of how this lightweight division is just ridiculous. Where like any permutation you throw with these guys, these all these different guys, people are gonna get excited about it. So that should be fun. We're gonna have that coming up soon. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Uh, but in the meantime, we are running low on time and we got a ton of Twitter questions. So we'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, Let's do rapid fire round. A rapid fire round. Bow, 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 bow. Bow, bow, bow. Rapid fire round. Next, first one's coming up from Strike MX on Twitter who wants to know with Aldo out of the title picture, who do you want to see him fight for his last fight in Brazil? Conor McGregor, lightweight, four rounds. Not happening. <laughs> if you ask me who I wanted to, I'm not saying it's possible. <laughs> What would be a realistic one for you that you would want? Like, do you, do you, do you, would you just want some fun matchup at lightweight or do you, do you continue this sort of thing that he's just been doing of just, Hey, you, you want you, these featherweight contenders want to come, let them come that type of thing. Throws a beat at him. Yeah. That would be tasty. That would be tasty. I like using tasty as a adjective. for. A fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's say he's a beat then because, uh, 
I think I would have liked to see the McGregor rematch, but that's that's just me. But uh, yeah, Zabit would be tasty. Yeah, I, I like some kind of lightweight, or I like some kind of featherweight. Maybe maybe like a Chan Sung Jung if he can get through a rematch with Chan Sung Jung if he can get through with Moikano, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's keep things going. Let's see. Da, 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 da. This is a good one. This one's coming from Chris Murphy, who wants to know, there are a ton of great fights at lightweight being made right now. Does this signal that the division is now okay without Conor McGregor in it? Yeah, I think so, to be honest. I do. I feel like it's taken on nicely. And um, to be honest, that's the kind of thing that will rush Conor back to action. You know, I feel like if he felt as though he wasn't needed, that would make him want to uh, stamp his foot all over that division and and try to put his R in. And, And to be honest, that's what I feel like he has been doing, this social media stuff. I feel like he's just trying to keep himself in the conversation, and that's pretty much the only way he can do it at the moment. God, you're you're not wrong about that. The social media stuff, uh, after every single fight, <laughs> trying to inject himself in that conversation, uh, <laughs> it's it gets a little tiresome. I've said that before. It does, it does, man. And especially the last ones, like he's deleting stuff and all. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I mean the lightweight division has never needed Conor McGregor. I think. As a whole, maybe the UFC to some degree needs Conor McGregor just because obviously he's the biggest star they've ever seen. The lightweight division for a long time has been just fine. I mean, that's the best division in the entire sport, and I'm not breaking any news by saying that. So if any division can survive the loss of a fighter, it's definitely lightweight. But I will say that Khabib Nurmagomedov is is not anywhere near the name he is without that McGregor fight. Like he's taking when you fight Conor McGregor, you become a superstar, and I feel like that that's what. Khabib did. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And I, th- I think that's maybe if, if there if the division needs him to any degree now with whatever he has left, because I don't feel like he has a lot left, it would be that. It would be to put people over and sort of make them more popular so then moving forward they can be popular without him. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's a good point. So this next one's coming from, let's see, Denny Rance from Sean Denny. Who wants to know was Rose Nama Yunus's first round performance against Jessica Andrade the highest quality round we have seen at 155? Or 115, I'm sorry, 115. Like, you know, you look look at even Joanna against Jessica Penne. Remember that in UFC Berlin or whatever it was? That was what I was gonna say. Yeah. Nasty, man. Any of those rounds. <laughs> I was I was gonna point to Carla Esparza, but yeah, that's either of those fights. The, that would be to me the highest quality that we have seen at 115. Rose is right up there, but the yes. way that Joanna just crushed Carla Esparza and Jessica Penne with just overwhelming them. That 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 was like that was like watching uh, a big brother beat up a little brother and the little brother know that this is what's going to happen by the end of this, but there's no way for him to stop it. Like it was it was it, you almost were terrified for for those women in there. And this was, you know, you have to remember, this was when Joanna was just introducing herself and we had got to know these other uh, women through the Tough series. So to see that, that there's this gulf between Joanna and Jessica Penne at that time was absolutely incredible. And as you said, Asparza, who had won the belt, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's see. What is next? Uh the early numbers, this one's coming from Maze Flare Sword. He says the early numbers for UFC 236 
are 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 the early numbers for UFC 236 true under 100,000 K? Uh, I heard that it, I think we talked about this maybe last week too, but this is right around hundred thousand K. It's probably a little it's it's either a little under or a little over, but it's right around there. And I wonder, man, how if if the numbers for two thirty seven are just as bad, at what point we if you're a fighter, do you start really, really looking at your contract, especially if you're a champion and be and looking at those pay-per-view points and wondering if everything has to change? Yeah, and, and I really do feel like that's a big factor when it comes to McGregor too. You know, like the amount of money he was taking in from these boys and because it's behind the ESPN wall now, will that affect um, how Connor does business? I really feel like the slightest thing can change how Connor does business with the UFC. So I think without a doubt that will factor into his next con contract negotiation. But, um, you know, I'm not as uh, savvy when it comes to the numbers and stuff like that with you guys. Obviously, we have a different system over here, but... Uh, that does like that would be shockingly no, low numbers for a pay per view, right? If they if they were coming in like that, it would be some one of the lowest ever. And I think I think there's a good chance that that this past weekend's will be the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with you. I I heard um a lot of people forecasting what boys they had, and a lot of people had it on the lower end. It's unfortunate. Um, do you think the fact that it's in Brazil uh, factored into that would would have a big kind no. of factor in that? No, no? I think it, I think it's just. It, it wasn't the strongest card and it's just harder to get people to, to go through two different paywalls now to buy these pay-per-views. You've trained people for 20 years that this is how you buy a pay-per-view and then you've changed it very suddenly. I think they're going to be feeling this for a while. And, and I think me and Alexander talked about it last week where if you go down, if you kind of look down the calendar and you point to July, I think the fight, the big event on for international fight week will be a big test because that is a really great card. John Jones, uh, Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm, like there's a lot of good stuff on that card. And if that struggles, then you might know you have an actual problem if you're at the UFC. And maybe not even if you're the UFC because they're still getting their money, more so the fighters. If you're the fighters and that and that card struggles, it's time to look at those contracts. I really wish they'd put together that union. I know we always say it, but it's... Yeah, <laughs> it's not happening. So annoying, like. And then they complain about everything. You're like, listen, lads, you know what you have to do. You know, it's... It, it does, it's very frustrating, I feel. Yeah. Uh, well, we're running low on time, so let's do one more. And this one is uh, this, you're, this, you're not going to understand this one at all, Pizzi. So this all one's right. maybe near and dear to me, but this one's coming from Mothra Stan, who says, Sean, would you fight J Justin Gaethje if it meant getting Zion? Uh, yes. I know who Zion is. I know who Zion is. Come who's, on. Who's Zion? Who, 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 who what, what is your. High school basketball player. He's a savage. He was going to be the number one draft pick. He's going to the Pelicans. What? Oh, how, do like how do you like that? Huh? Look at you. Impressive. Uh, that's a lot more than I could say about any any soccer guy. So I'm <laughs> impressed by you. Uh, God, yeah, I would fight Justin Gaethje for Zion. I would, but here's how I would fight Justin Gaethje for Zion. I would, I would, the fight would start. Bruce Buffer would introduce us, and then I would kind of just sit Indian style on the floor and just tap out and then <laughs> hey the fight the fight happened justin beat me by submission in in three seconds but it's just like all right that's fine give me zion now uh I, i'm not gonna go long on this because no one actually cares but god damn it i was so effing heartbroken yesterday with that nba draft lottery for people who don't understand the phoenix suns had the worst season in their history and that's the team that i'm addicted like i have a weird stockholm syndrome relationship with at this point it's like an abused household situation uh 
They had the worst record in franchise history. They play 82 games. They won 19 of them, which is, and I watched like all of those games because I'm an idiot. Like I, I, I don't know why, but I did. Uh, and it was terrible. It was obviously terrible. And the whole point is you're going to lose so that you get a chance to get this transcendent superstar Zion Williamson or maybe the number two pick, John, John Morant, who's point guard. We need either of those positions. Those are the two positions we need. We had a 14% chance of getting uh, uh, one of these, one of the like the top pick because of the way they changed these lottery odds. And not only did we not even get the top pick or the second pick or the third pick, we didn't even get a top five pick. We got the sixth pick. <laughs> And I like totally knew this was going to happen. I, I like I felt it very deep within my bones that we were going to get royally effed this year. Last year, we got the number one pick, and I kind of felt that too. I felt really good about it. This one, I knew that this was going to happen. And as it played out, like I I was in a dark place yesterday, PT. I was in a dark, oh, dark place. I, did, I saw all the reaction to it. I don't understand what the draft lottery is. I just thought you guys had a number based on if you're last, you're the first guy to get a pick. And if you're yeah, second, that would last, be nice. That would be nice. That wouldn't make There's, sense. You have a lot of people like just coming last to get Zion, though, wouldn't you? It'd be like a a, a race to get last. <laughs> well, that's what, and that's the part that, and again, I, I'm not gonna go long on this, but it, that's the part that frustrates me is because, like, so th they changed these lottery rules so that it, hypothetically it was to to help to disincentivize tanking for teams that try to do bad on purpose, like you just said, and then get get these top picks. But what ended up happening is all of the top picks went to teams that were already kind of like, okay, like kind of not bad. And all of the really bad teams just ended up with very terrible picks that is not going to actually help their, their chances at all. So they're going to be bad again. And people, and, and I've gotten a lot of this on Twitter of like, well, the Suns were tanking. That's what they get for tanking. No, the Suns were not tanking. The Suns were just fucking terrible. Like we're we just, trying, guys. <laughs> we're just terrible. Like we're not tanking. We were trying to win. We're just incompetent and we don't know how to win. And so we're just really, really bad at this. And so now we're just going to stay bad at this. Meanwhile, the, the teams that actually did tank the, the Lakers who, who F the Lakers and F the Laker fans for being so entitled. And I'm going on a tangent at this point, but <laughs> F them. they tanked hard as hell. The Pelicans tanked hard as hell and kudos to them. They should have tanked. That's what you should have done in that situation. But the Grizzlies tanked like all these the Grizzlies, maybe not. I'll, I'll backpedal on the Grizzlies, but the Knicks tanked like all of these teams actually tanked. We didn't tank. We're just awful. And we're going to be awful forever at this point. Like we're not going to get better. And it's just, I'm sad. I'm just remember that moment though. There's that famous gif of you. Look how much joy the your team has given you. You know, the the Phoenix Suns, right? Look how much joy. Yeah, this much joy. They've that given me one waving the thing around. That's the best thing ever. They've given me one gif worth of joy, and that was it. <laughs> but the gif is is timeless, Sean. You know, it's forever, man. I'm not gonna be that happy watching a basketball game for another like five years. I'm gonna support the Pelicans to piss everyone off. I'll be like, man, I've been a Pelicans fan my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to go into any more on basketball, but I could, at least it wasn't the Lakers. When the Lakers came up and it was like, they're going to move into the top four now, it's just like, I, I died inside. It was just. But then he'd be with LeBron and everyone else there, right? So that would be like. so undeserved. It's just so undeserved. They've gotten more top three picks than almost anyone else for no reason at all. And it's just so undeserved. I'm so sick of them. And they're complaining fans. They're terrible fans. I don't care. All you guys who watch the show from LA, you guys, if you're like a fan, I don't. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to move on.
Before. Yeah, so he isn't bothered about that at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mind at all. Oh, my God. This is ruining my life, this stupid team. Uh, let me recollect myself. We go into a, a part of the show now called the promo uh, where we talk about something important to us. I'm going to let you go so I can calm down. I'm, like, sweating over here now. Uh, let me hear your promo, Pete C. What is on your mind? You see, you're all stuck in a vacuum over there in the U.S., right? All oh, you I do, like, I like all, how this is starting. I like all how these started. questions. Oh, what's going on in the UFC? What's going? Do you know that there's other promotions out there? Do you understand that? Yeah, there's 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 promotions selling sixty thousand seater stadiums in Europe. Yeah, that's happening. And guess what else is happening? The cup finals over here. You know how huge soccer is in Europe. They're huge, right? This promotion, KSW. They get more viewers than the cup final in Poland. That's how big the sport is there. And none of you even know about it because you're stuck in your UFCs and your Bellator. Saturday night, KSW, KSW 49. One of the greatest prospects in world MMA, Roberto Saldic, going up against the greatest prospect in Poland right now, Christian Kajabowski. That's just the co-main event. The main event is Scott Askham, UFC veteran, against Michael Materla, who turned down a UFC contract so he could compete at those 60,000 filler stadium shows. He turned down the UFC so he could do that. He's already lost to Askham, right? That's the whole magic. He's like the Polish boogeyman. He's taken on Askham again. Askham finished him in just a minute the last time. This is going to be a crazy fight, and they're going to decide the next heavyweight contender to the resurgent Phil DeFries. If you don't watch that fight, on Saturday. You're not my friend. It's only going to cost you $10 or something, all right? I don't even want to hear about it. Spend your money and come back to me. If you're upset about it, you can cry, eh, do all that stuff, but please give it a go and then thank me later. Sean, over to you. <laughs> oh, my God. That was that was, that was was amazing. Well done, sir. Yeah. That, that was the best promo we've had on this show in a bit. I didn't even... I, I had the card ready, but I couldn't find it there, so I was just going off the floor in my ass there. <laughs> Uh, well done, sir. I can't follow that, but I guess I'll have to try. Um, you upstaging me on my own show. Uh, <laughs> so this, this so ahead of us this week is UFC Rochester, and we did not get any questions about it, which I think is probably representative of how people feel about it. But I do think there is one. There are a few good fights on this card, and one in particular that I want to highlight uh, is this Vicente Luque fight. It's he, it, it was going to be versus Neil Magny, and that would have been a really interesting fight. That would have probably been the step up that Vicente Luque has deserved for a long time. Now it's not. It's against Derek Krantz, UFC newcomer, Bellator veteran, long time, long time legacy and LFA veteran. He's been in that promotion for a long, for a very, very high number of years at this point. But he is supposed to be a very good prospect, and, and this should be a, a tough test for him. But Vicente Luque, man, is a hard, hard man to get in your UFC debut. Lest I remind you, that the last time we saw this guy, he was putting on one of the fights of the year with Brian Barberina. Uh, I I am here for any and all Vicente Luque fight weeks. This is a man who is eight and one over his last nine, and all eight of those are finishes. He is just stopping people left and right. It's unfortunate that he did not get a chance to get a step up here in this welterweight division that he has deserved for a long time. But credit to him for accepting this short notice replacement when it is really. Uh, there is a very low chance, like it's a low lose lose situation, I should say, for him more or less. He's not gaining anything out of this. So I am having my eyes squarely focused on Vicente Luque this weekend. It is a big spot for him. I think if he wins, they will give him the bump as if he beat Neil Magny because at that point 
this man is nine and one with nine finishes or maybe a, even throwing a decision in there, whatever, but he'll be nine and one. If, if he wins this weekend, he will deserve a step up uh, as he was supposed to get. So Vicente Luque versus Derek Krantz. That's my fight of the weekend. I am looking straight at that and I am excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like just don't put him against Europeans. He struggles, you know, Leon Edwards did a job on him. That's all I'm saying. Come on, Europe. <laughs> Okay, and with that, I think that's as good a way to get out of here as any. Uh, this has been a very long episode of the A-Side Live Chat Podcast, but you guys just had a ton of questions, so we had to answer them. Uh, and, the, and this has been a fun one. Thank you so much for joining me, Pizzi. Uh, your energy okay. is infectious. I appreciate you, my friend. Are you sweating too? Oh, I, I'm sweating. I'm still sweating like a stuck pig from the Phoenix Suns thing. <laughs> oh, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It was, it was a great pleasure. I'm glad I could do it. Absolutely. We will have to have you back on again. Uh, in the meantime, replay of this show is going up on all the usual spots uh, right after iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, on the MMA Fighting Feed, where you will find this man's podcast as well, Eurobash. It is always good every week. He brings the goods for you people. Uh, in the meantime, this has been the A-Side Live Chat Podcast. My name is Sean Oshadi. That man is Pizza Carroll. Thank hmm. you so much for joining us. Enjoy the fights. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you same time, same place next week. A side. <laughs>